0: Please listen carefully. All right, welcome in, everyone. You're listening to the Heard It Here Sports Podcast. As always, I am your host, Cooper Heard. Pleasure to be talking some NBA draft, as always, with you. Today, I'm doing something pretty easy. Just going over the 2023 NBA mock draft that I... Finally published yesterday. Finally, feel like I have a good enough grasp on the, you know, the top 45, top 60-ish prospects that I can go ahead and start looking to actually pair them with teams. Um, I, I consider, you know, big boards are actually easier in my mind because that's just my look at, you know, how I evaluate prospects, and it's easier, you know, if I haven't seen a prospect, I can just slot him in in a later spot, but. Um, the, the mock draft, I think, is more about your understanding of the NBA and the particular teams, um, because as much as people want to say that the draft is all about best player available, best player available is totally dependent on the team. At the end of the day, that's just kind of how it is. Um, some guys are going to be more likely to succeed in certain situations. You know, and that's the thing I think we see with this lottery is, you know, really the whole lottery outside of, you know, I think Brandon Miller is a pretty solid three, but, you know, four through 15 is kind of up in the air. I think, I think there is a lot of um, similar level of talent where I think, I think this is a draft where fit is going to come in a lot more than some people may want to admit. But that's enough chit chat for now. We can go ahead and actually dive into the mock draft. Uh, number one, no surprise, Victor Wimiyama. Um This is a fun little exercise, though, because in this exercise, the Utah Jazz jumped up to the number one pick, which I think if I said that at the beginning of the season, people would say, yeah, I mean, duh, they probably have the worst record in the league. They just traded away the last great French center, right? Not to mention Donovan Mitchell, who's, You know, at top five, like a legit MVP candidate this year. But the Jazz have played well. You know, I think trading away Mike Conley, uh, Vanderbilt, uh, Malik Beasley going to make tanking a little bit easier. I think that they are probably going to be looking in that direction. However, still pretty stunning to see the Jazz jump up in this specific simulation. Wimby's the guy. It's not really a debate. This is a situation I just spent 45 seconds talking about how fit's super important. This is not a situation where fit is important. Um, certainly once he's on the Jazz, you'll want to worry about building around him. Um, I personally think that a three-man rotation of Laurie Markkanen plus Victor Wimanyama plus Walker Kessler is absolutely fascinating. I don't think that Wimby needs to play the center position. I, I actually think he's probably going to be best suited as someone that has a chance to discover what his true position is. I think more than likely it'll be the four or the five, probably the five, but there is certainly a chance that he develops to be such a great player that he could even play at the three. You know, obviously there are going to be players of that position that are much quicker than him that could beat him off the dribble, but he's not just seven feet tall. It's, this, is, this is a different type of player. He's seven foot five with a potentially eight foot long wingspan. His ability to recover combined with the fact that he does have good foot speed and agility and he clearly is taking great care of his body and in the way that he is maintaining flexibility and agility at his size i think he's actually got a chance to cover some of those guys just with his you know it's it's poor fundamentals to say let the player uh drive past you and then try to recover for a block that's something i think you see actually in hyper athletic prospects occasionally that is kind of a red flag But Wemby Nyama is the rare player that may actually be able to pull that off as an NBA player, which is quite rare and would be pretty phenomenal to see. I also think Utah is likely going to be a good place for Wemby to develop. It's kind of weird to think about because it's such a small market, and frankly, it's not one that Utah in general is not really known for being particularly welcoming or diverse, or welcoming to diversity, I guess I would say, but... The Utah Jazz franchise itself, though, you have to say they have experience with superstars. Obviously, they had Stockton and Malone in the past. You know, Deron Williams was a pretty big superstar in his time. And then just recently, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert. This is not a situation where the franchise won't know how to deal with a superstar. Um, and I do think that having a guy like Will Hardy in there who can grow as a coach alongside of womenyama I think that's going to be huge. I actually think this is a really good fit for him. I think, obviously, that roster is super malleable, and you can, at this point, you can put whatever resources you need in to build around Womenyama. So I think this is a great fit for Wimby. I think, obviously, the, the Jazz Jazz fans are going to be elated. They'll be dancing in the streets of Salt Lake tonight, baby. But that's enough for the number one guy. Uh, Number two player in this mock draft, also not a surprise. Uh, This number two pick is Scoot Henderson, and in this simulation, another bit of a surprise, he's going to the Orlando Magic, who is another team that I think coming to the year we all expected to be a bottom feeder. They've actually been on the cusp of the play-in. I I haven't checked their record in the last week or so, but they've been a competitive team. Paolo looks like the undisputed rookie of the year, you know, a multi-time All-NBA guy, so... Got to be pretty excited about that, and the idea of being able to pair Scoot Henderson with Paolo Bancaro—that's phenomenal. You just don't get many better combinations than that. Not to mention throwing Franz into that mix, and they've got other guys. You know, I'm actually personally a huge fan of Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs. They're two guys that I would absolutely buy stock on uh, at this point in their careers. Markel Fultz is a great player. Jonathan Isaac is actually coming back and playing. This is a team that I think Oklahoma City is getting rightfully lauded as the next sleeping giant. And, you know, I'll talk about them as such later on. Part of that is because Shea is, you know, again, he was a borderline MVP candidate earlier on. Paolo's not there yet. Paolo's also a few years younger. But I think if you add Scoot in there, you've got Paolo, you got Franz. That's potentially the best core in the NBA, So that's exciting, man. I mean, you can just imagine the type of pick-and-roll chemistry that Scoot and Paolo could develop. Not to mention, you know, you got Franz there as a, you know, he can handle the ball or he can be the screener. I just think that's going to be a super versatile offensive trio and offense wins in the NBA, right? I think they're going to be an incredibly exciting team. That's for sure. I'll go on to number three, though. I think those top two picks are pretty well established. And I will say, I think this number three pick is starting to be somewhat solidified as well. I wonder if that's as much the case amongst actual NBA front offices or if this is more just a internet draft Twitter sphere is sort of coming to a consensus because we all kind of run in the same circle. There's definitely some level of groupthink, I think, at this stage in the process. But Brandon Miller, number three, Brandon Miller are going to the Charlotte Hornets. I think Brandon Miller has established himself clearly as the best freshman in college basketball. He's on, I would say, the best team in college basketball in Alabama. Um, I might pick Houston to actually win the tournament, but I think Alabama is in, in a one-game situation. They've certainly proven themselves throughout. Uh they haven't lost many games. Um, I, it, Brandon Miller, though you know he's another guy that you just don't have to spend a ton of time evaluating him. He's just a really good basketball player who has a great combination of. I, I love when you have a guy that's not just pure potential, but he's got great production as well. It's almost, and this is blasphemous to say, but it's almost Kevin Durant ish. His level of you know he's a six nine shooter, shot creator. Gets to his spots. He's not the athlete that Kevin Durant is. And I also don't think he's going to end up being, you know, 6'11", 7' tall. Which is, you know, every couple of inches helps at that point. But he's probably going to be an elite shooter in the NBA period. Not even just for his position. I think having Brandon Miller alongside LaMelo Ball is going to be pretty awesome. I mean, I don't think there are any other teams that have two guys in the backcourt that are 6'7 and 6'9. They're both like pretty reliable shot creators. is definitely... I would say more of a creative passer, but I think Brandon Miller is a solid passer in his own right. Uh, I actually classify him less as a shooter, or shot creator, and I, I classify him more as a, an initiator. Though I would say more a secondary initiator, where his his you know it's more of more of a shot creation bent that can lead into some some facilitation and passing at times. Um, I, I think that's more of a you know a, a, a latent skill that he can uh, work on once he gets to the league. But beyond that, I think. You just think of, like, Gordon Hayward, right? Gordon Hayward is a guy that they brought in uh, who was supposed to be sort of a secondary ball handler, can create his own shot, can just be, like, a solid glue guy, but in that starting lineup, you know, you have to be really talented to be a glue guy in the starting lineup. It's just not really a role that exists. Uh, I would say most starters are either going to be star players or they're going to be specialists. Um it's, it's pretty rare that you just get a generalist guy like this who is, you know, a dribble-pass-shoot, maybe do some defense, um, and he's not a star. Uh, speaking of Gordon Hayward specifically, I think Brandon Miller has more of a chance of being a star, but I, I do think he comfortably and very early on fits into that mold of, you know, 15 points, 7 rebounds a game, 4 assists a game, Gordon Hayward role, you know, maybe you're only going to get 8 to 10 shots a game, but capitalize on those shots and you'll you'll also get some you know dribbling opportunities some some creation opportunities so i think that's a pretty great fit which i think charlotte is not a team that i would be particularly confident in their drafting ability or their development ability but i think in this instance this is a pretty great fit alongside Lamelo and someone that you know could potentially help convince Lamelo to stay long term so that's number three uh that's Brandon miller from alabama going to the charlotte hornets uh, up at number four, I have the Detroit Pistons selecting in this simulation, and I have them taking Jairus Walker, the forward out of Houston. Uh, this is actually, this turned out to be an even easier pick than I expected as well. Uh, you know, number three, number four, I think both are considered to be pretty nebulous selections, but I think Jairus just fits in perfectly here, Right. You've already got your two blue chip guys in the backcourt with Cade Cunningham and Jaden Ivey. You've already got your two blue chip centers, I guess. You know, your two top five recruit centers and James Wiseman and Jalen Duran. It, just imagine throwing in Cade Cunningham, Jaden Ivey, Jalen Duran. You've got Bogdanovich in there for now, and then Jairus is your fifth guy. Like, that's just, it's a super, super potent weapon to have. But Jairus is just, he's just going to provide value in so many ways, right? I've, just have him classified as an all-around athlete but that means he's he's productive on both ends right he's an all-around player on offense he's an all-around player on defense uh, he, he I don't th- I don't know that he's necessarily mastered many skills yet um, but you know jack- of-all trades that is something that when, when you are six foot eight 240 and as athletic and and frankly as skilled as he is I, I mean you can be a jack-of-all trades if You are very good at those trades Uh, he's not necessarily again he's not elite Uh, he's going to have to find one or two or three things to become elite in to uh, really justify being the fourth overall pick but i think he's going to be good enough as an all-around again i said it with brandon miller this is it i feel like underselling guys when i say a glue guy uh, because a glue guy in a starting lineup again is incredibly important you know third or fourth best starters on offense get paid a lot of money in the ABB and I think Jarris could end up being even better than that I've seen plenty of people see it say it but you know beware the guys considered high floor low ceiling but are superb athletes with ball skills I mean I definitely think there's a bit of a glass ceiling I, I think he is in fact I would consider him less of a high floor high a low ceiling guy I would consider him I think he's got a solid floor but I think he's one of the higher ceiling guys in the class, to be honest. Just because I think he's got such a chance of, I don't know that he'll end up being a top 10 guy on offense, but he could be a top 20 guy on defense and a top 30 guy on offense. Or top 15 on defense and top 50 on offense. Something like that. That's like Drew Holiday or OG Ananobi. Like those guys are borderline all-stars. And occasionally, you know, a guy like Drew is an all-star. So I, I think he could be that. I think he could even be slightly better than that. I actually really believe in his touch, and I think his offensive creation, it might just be that good, but I think either way, you know, I think it's gonna be pretty easy for him to pan out as the number four pick, Uh, and I think that's just such a nice fit, Uh, not just positionally, but his ability to play off of someone like Cade Cunningham, Uh, and then I really like the defensive chops that he, Jalen Duran, Cade, and Jaden, well, you know, they Cade, I think, will be a good defender. Jaden, I think, can turn into a better defender. I think they could have some real defensive chops, and and Jairus is certainly no slouch on offense either. So I, I love that pick. That's my number four pick, though. That's Jairus Walker going to the Detroit Pistons. Uh, number five is where I really struggled. Again, I mentioned that I think a lot of people underrate fit, team fit in these mock drafts. Um, I spent a lot more time considering team fit because, again, I, I think that if you don't consider it as a team, you're more likely to put a player in a situation where he's going to fail. And it doesn't matter if you draft w- Victor Wembanyama and put him in a horrible, terrible situation. Like, he's still he's going to fail. Like, you can throw the biggest, buffest freshwater fish in the ocean and it's going to die. Like, it doesn't... Like, your your environment is everything. The context is everything. You can't survive in a toxic environment. <laughs> That being said, uh, Houston is number five on my board. Um, don't read too much into the whole toxic environment thing I was talking about, but it's it's chaotic there for sure, right? You know they've got Jalen Green, who I still think could be a, a several time All Star. I think he's got all the talent in the world. Kevin Porter Jr. is certainly a super talented guy. Alperen Sengun is looking like a future superstar, like assist leader in the NBA or something. He looks like he's gonna be putting up twenty and twelve. Sorry. 20 and 10 and 10 the rest of his career but Jabari Smith as well I have to mention him but you know they're they're a chaotic team they're they're a team that's been a really bad team since James Harden has been traded they've been I'm guessing they've had by far the least number of wins over the past three years or whenever that trade was the specific date um, because it was an in-season trade they've just been a really bad team and haven't really shown any signs of life you know People always talk about how tanking is so bad because people are just losing a bunch. But I think the idea of tanking is that you lose for a couple years with guys that you haven't invested in a lot. And then in those couple of years, you get high draft picks and you invest in those guys. And then theoretically, the guys you've invested in Lead to winning. You build around those guys because once you've invested in these guys that are supposed to be your superstars, you don't want them to be losing. You don't want them to be in this like empty, p- pointless environment where all they're doing is collecting a draft pick and a in pe- a paycheck. I think it's kind of dangerous to have. Yeah, Jalen Green does not be need to be doing this for four years straight, right? And for me, you know, again, number five, Houston Rockets. There's lots of guys still on the board: Cam Whitmore, Keontae, Nick Smith. I mean, there's lots of great players, right? Uh, the Thompson Twins, but I just, I think they just need to take someone that fits their team and is going to be good. Uh, so I have them taking Kason Wallace, point guard out of Kentucky. I think it's it's very high. Um, I think the fact that they already have a bunch of guards is worth noting. They literally have last year's five-star Kentucky point guard prospect sitting on their bench, Ty Ty Washington, um, but I just think that Kason's a perfect fit. I literally, before I did this mock draft, I went through all the NBA teams and said, okay, what are like three or four player types that they need or would really help them going forward? Uh, Not necessarily even something they need to draft, just positions of weakness uh, in their long-term future. The Rockets, I had three things written down. One, off ball shooting. Two, defense at literally any position. Three, a reliable perimeter initiator. I think Kaysen, without a doubt, fits those first two roles instantly. He's proven to be a great shooter, although his free throw shooting is alarming. Um, I personally, I, I don't really have. To, I mean, this is this is sort of a gut thing. I buy his shooting. Uh, I think he's going to be like a 38 to 40 percent shooter. Um, I just buy it. The defense is, I don't think, up for debate at all. I think it's I think it's agreed upon that he's going to be an NBA level defender, Um, and I think most people would say that his, not even like his max upside, like his seventy fifth percentile upside is like All NBA second team. Uh, Sorry, defensive teams, uh, all defensive, all all defensive second team, not all NBA second team. Um, That'd be pretty cool. I'd feel real smart if he did that, but I don't necessarily know that even I'm predicting that. But that third thing, right, the, the reliable perimeter initiator, uh, that, that's where he may fall short. I just think it's worth taking a chance. I mean, what's the worst thing that's going to happen is he takes a few pick and roll opportunities away from Jalen Green or KPJ, like, let him try to get some rapport with Shingoon. You know, maybe Shingoon can work with him um, more in the Jokic-Jamal Murray way, where maybe Kaysen ends up... As more of the off-ball guy in Shangoon's figuring out how to get him in his spots, you know that's that's realistically what should be happening with Jalen Green. Maybe KPJ to a lesser extent. I think KPJ probably needs to create his own shots a little bit more. But you know it, maybe maybe Kaysen can be a part of like refocusing this team to use Shangoon as a distributor. I also do think that Kaysen has some nascent um, creation ability, or more accurately, you know, initiating. I think of creation as more trying to find your own shot, and maybe that leads to a pass, whereas I think of initiating as more running plays on offense. I think that Kaysen has a chance to fill that ladder role. I mean, I think that he's got good shooting, dribbling, passing skills. I think he's got good awareness on offense. I don't always think he's very aggressive, but again, I'm willing to buy that, number one, he's A very good shooter and a great defender, which is gonna get him on the court early, and that number two, there's some skills that have I mean, it's it's just kind of a trope to say it at this point, but there's probably some skills that were a little bit hidden at Kentucky. I'm willing to take the gamble on him. Yeah, we'll just go ahead and move on to number six overall now. Uh, and that is I have the San Antonio Spurs, who would certainly be pretty disappointed to end up in number six in the draft. But I think if they did end up here, actually. I think they're going to be pretty happy with landing, who I have them taking at number six, Keontae George. Now, he may not be Wimbe He's not Scoot Henderson. Keontae George is going to step in there on draft night 2023 as their best player. The face of the franchise, the primary shot creator, etc. Keontae is such a good scorer. He's a guy that I think fits into that mold of the these elite shot-creating shooting guards. I, I would compare him most to Devin Booker out of that. Branch, I, because I think he's the one. I think it, this is something that I've seen is that Keontae is underrated as an athlete because he relies less on his athleticism. I could see Booker is maybe similar. I, I think Booker maybe even relies on his size a little bit more, uh, where Keontae, you know, Keontae is six three, maybe even six four, uh, and he's got some strength to him, uh, but he's not necessarily. I think Devin Booker is almost closer to six six. But I just think, you know, Keontae is like the ultimate, you know, quote unquote bad guy. He's just got every move or looks like he will have every move. You know, he's not necessarily pulling out the most complex dribble moves, but he is a guy that can shoot at any angle. Maybe that's what I would say. He's he's able to shoot moving any direction with his momentum any sort of way. You know, if he can get up in the air and shoot the ball, like it's got a good chance of going in. That's really important, right? He's always able to keep his balance, keep his consistency in his release and his form in a variety of ways, which is super important as a scorer. And again, I I think he's got a good dribble. I think he will excel as a shot creator off the bounce. I think he's just going to be a really good player. Uh, And out of anyone left on this board, he's the guy that I would want to bet on being my best player going forward, or at the very least being um, one of my top two best players. Uh, I, I I personally strongly consider Nick Smith here as well. I think he's another guy that kind of fits in that mold. I see Nick Smith is potentially more of a point guard, but also I see Keontae is just a much more versatile scorer. Um I haven't necessarily seen a ton of Nick Smith high school film I'd say that for sure, but I, I don't know. I like Keontae so I'm pretty comfortable saying that. That's it for Keontae. He's another one that, you know, he's just a he's a professional scorer with an emphasis on the professional part right i just have no doubt that he's going to be a, a solid guy in the locker room he's going to be maybe he's not going to be an mvp candidate maybe he's not going to be a perennial all nba guy even but i think he will carry your team to respectable heights but i all and and i also think that he can contribute on you know a, a smaller role on big time winning teams so i just like him as a scorer i like him as a professional i like him as an athlete um i just think he's gonna be a really good basketball player that's gonna fit into any situation that arises. So, uh, Nafon I'll move on to number seven. I had the Indiana Pacers making the, a controversial pick of the first round, or at least of the lottery. Uh, I had them taking Bryce Sensabaugh out of Ohio State at number seven. Uh, this is definitely one that I would call a fit pick. This is definitely higher than I have had him. Certainly on my first big board, uh, I, I think he'll, he'll move up on whenever my next one would be. My opinion of him is, definitely risen i (laughs) seven is pretty high for him um but i just i i really like the fit here indiana should be building around tyrese halliburton i think their other halliburton and mathurin are are the two main pieces of the future i personally would consider halliburton uh, you know a couple of tiers above that i think he's like a real foundational core piece whereas mathurin is like a potential secondary star, which is, you I mean, you need those. And if you can get that at the sixth pick in the draft, like that's awesome. You did great. But I think the biggest thing in this consideration is Tyrese Halliburton. Tyrese Halliburton is a generational passer. Um, one of the most creative facilitators that we have in the league. I think he's going to be like, I mean, he he's leading the the NBA in assists this year. I think he's going to be doing that for the next 10 years, you know, at least in condition for that. And he's a guy that's just a very cerebral passer. I think he's someone that has a great understanding of game situation. And, you know, can I get the ball to my guy when he's hot and et cetera. There's a reason that Matherin's had such a great rookie season alongside of Halliburton. Um, and I think why he's maybe fallen off a little bit since, since Halliburton's injury. I think he's just great at getting people in their spots. I mean, that's what a great passer does, right? I think that Bryce Sensabaugh, if he gets drafted here, will probably have his best years alongside Halliburton. Um, Unless he happens to go to another, you know, phenomenal facilitator. But I guess that, you know, to speak more specifically on Sensabaugh, I think what he does great is make shots. Um, Make three-pointers, make mid-rangers, make post-shots. I know his finishing numbers haven't always been great, but I think he will be fine as a finisher. I bet he'll come up with some like ugly floater game. It's gonna be something ugly just because that's how he goes. Um, he's he's just got he's got a he's got a funky game, but I love it. Um, I I think that I just think that Matherin could make him like a twenty five point per game scorer. I mean that might be that might be unrealistic, but I. With with how inflated scoring is in the NBA right now, like I, I could see him turning it, again specifically. I think Halliburton could make him a twenty five point scorer. Like I, I think that's within the realm of possibility. Um, and if that is true, then I think yeah, you take his ass seventh overall. Uh, pardon my pardon my French, but yeah, you know it's it's tough, right? He's he's like a six six guy that can't really defend, and his team sucks this year. Um, but I think he's one of the best scorers in this draft and most importantly he is one of the most versatile off-ball scorers Um, and that's what you give Tyrese Halberton right this is Tyrese Halberton's your quarterback and this is your star receiver right this is this is the this is the Jamar Chase to his Joe Burrow right you have to give Tyrese Halberton weapons like this and and I think this is the perfect fit for Bryce as well so the more I've thought about and talked about it, the more that I believe it. Although I certainly think there are other guys that could fit well on this team. You know, just for context, here are the last three number seven overall picks. Shaden Sharp, Jonathan Kaminga, and Killian Hayes. So who really knows at this point in the draft, right? I mean, they're all wild cards. But me personally, I'll go with Bryce here. Um, But that's number seven overall. Bryce Sensabaugh to the Indiana Pacers. Up next at number eight, we have our first double pick on the board. Orlando Magic is picking again at number eight. Feels like a little bit of deja vu. Orlando's got a second pick down at number eight, and I have them going with who at this point I consider a pretty clear wild card. Uh, I think he's got one of the you know one of the highest levels of variance in terms of his his floor ceiling outcomes. Uh, Cam Whitmore. Uh, I think Cam Whitmore. One of the notes I put in my mock draft write up is. I think Cam Whitmore probably sees himself as the best shooter in this draft for better and for worse. You know, I list Cam Whitmore as a shot creator. I don't always think that's what he does best, but I think that is what his role is going to be. He sees himself as a shot creator. That is how he's going to succeed or how he's going to fail. To be honest, I just don't see that changing from him. Uh, I I think he, he, he will make some defensive plays and will rebound occasionally. You know, that's just clearly not the focus of his game. But if you have a guy that's a top five athlete in his class that, is six foot seven and throws down some crazy dunks and also might be like a high level shot creator slash three point shooter. Like it's it's possible. I don't know if I would put money down on it, but it's certainly like I mean he's 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 had great shooting games and great shooting stretches. Consistency is just his thing. He'll need to be consistent. If he can shoot consistently, then he'll get on the floor and he will learn all the other aspects of the game. He's a phenomenal athlete. I mean, they just added Scoot Anderson early in this mix, too, right? Like, this Orlando team is going to have a ton of great prospects. Cam Whitmore is going to have to be consistent to get on the floor. So if he's not, he's just going to get bypassed. They have a lot of talent right now, and they potentially, I mean, they're getting the Bulls pick, I think, in a couple of years. Like, they might be getting another top five, top six pick next year. Top five, top six pick the year after that. I mean, they're, they're probably not going to be a 55-win team next year, so... Yeah, it's, it's going to be, I think it's just, this is a good point to take a swing on Cam. And I think Cam is either going to thrive, or I think he's going to be on his second team within two and a half years. A- almost in that Cam Reddish range of like, he's going to need, this is going to kind of have to work his way. And maybe I'm being unfair to him, but I, I just see his game as one that's predicated on shot creation. That's where his offensive value comes from. And I think if that's not working... I don't know that he's really going to be able to adapt to being like a cutter and corner three-point guy. Because at the end of the day, I think he's as likely to make corner threes as he is to make like a pull-up three on the wing, which is, again, that's the beauty and the beast with Cam Whitmore. But, you know, I would still think it's worth taking a shot at him with eight overall. And I could even see him being, you know, closer to five-six when everything's said and done. So, you know, Cam is just a guy that... (laughs) He's not the toughest eval, but the evaluation is kind of like, we'll just kind of have to see where he goes and how he plays. So I love watching him play. Like Villanova is probably one of my top watch teams this year. He's just, he's not that, he's not that crazy difficult to conceptualize. It's just to, you know, see how it goes. So that's enough. Uh, We'll move on now to the number nine pick in the draft, which is coming by way of the Los Angeles Lakers. It's going to the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, and I have them taking Nick Smith, the point guard out of Arkansas. He's actually up to eight games played. Uh, two of them were he has one game that was four minutes, one that was five minutes, so doesn't really count. But you know, six games played over 15 minutes. Uh, and actually, on Saturday, so I'm recording this Monday the 20th. On Saturday the 18th, he played 32 minutes against Florida. Haven't seen that game yet. I, I wasn't actually aware that he played that many minutes. So went 4-12. From the floor, a couple steals, couple turnovers, 04 from three. Again, again his, his performance this year, this is going to be a situation, kind of like Derek Whitehead, where you're going to have to rely on the high school tape a lot more. One comparison that I did make in the write up that I did was saying this is not quite a Shaden Sharp situation, right? When Portland took Shaden last year at seven overall, I don't think many evaluators in the NBA had seen him. You know, it's funny, they have Mike Schmitz now, who's, you know, revered in the draft space he's actually one of the few guys in the nba who may have seen him live because Shaden was not a i think he ended up being a five-star but he was not like a mcdonald's all-american game guy um any of these like big showcases i don't know that necessarily played a ton internationally for canada nick smith is not like that nick smith has been on radar since 2019 he was at the nike elite 100 camp in 2019 uh, his senior year, played in again. He played in the McDonald's All American Game. He played in the Nike Hoop Summit. He was the MVP of the Jordan Classic. He put up 27 points in the Jordan Classic in 24 minutes against again the best players in this 2023 draft class. Um, obviously, not everyone was there, but it just it's very important I think that some of the top level evaluators on these teams got to see him live and got to see him playing great basketball at a game like the Jordan Classic. So I think the evaluation of Nick Smith Jr. is is sound. I think we kind of know whatever the archetype of Nick Smith is, right? He's a super skilled shooter. He's got some twitch. He's got some ball skills. I think he's got a chance to be a primary, you know, what I call like a true point guard, right? A primary initiator of your offense. I also think he's got an opportunity to just be a great shooter who's more of an off-ball player uh, with some dribble skills. I really think though that in New Orleans he's gonna have a chance to become a true point guard. Uh, I think, (laughs) you know what? I'll put it this way, right? If you go into New Orleans and they actually trust you and say you're going to be our point guard, and you're playing alongside C.J. McCollum, Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, Jonas Valanciunas, like that's your starting lineup, yeah, you're gonna have an opportunity to facilitate. You're gonna have the opportunity to create some open shots for guys and. Even if you create some shots that are quite open, they're going to make them open shots, you know? Even some of those bench guys, like Trey Murphy, right? Finding him for threes all day. Like, that's, that's fantastic. The health stuff, I don't have any information on it. I don't know. It's it's a wild card. But other than that, like, I'm pretty confident that Nick Smith is just going to be a good player. It's just a matter of whether he's going to be closer to Devontae Graham's role of just sort of being, like, an ex-point guard who end up being more of just a shooter. But if he's not hitting shots... Where is this value? I'm more optimistic that this Nick Smith can, in fact, be more of a true point guard. Um, or at the very least, you know, maybe he's playing more of like a combo role and that he runs the office more off the bench. But I think in New Orleans, like, again, like CJ's running some offense, like Jose's running some offense, like he can take some of those reps from guys and it's not going to be particularly disruptive. And in fact, it it should make for a better environment. I'm super excited about this fit. I think this is like one of my three favorite fits in this draft. I would love to see this happen. Particularly, I, I do love the Pelicans. I'm a huge Zion fan. Um, being from Spartanburg myself, so I, I would love to see him get a point guard like Nick Smith, as well as you know a shooting point guard. It's it's kind of like getting a guy like CJ, except he's six foot five and 19 years old or whatever, and has more potential to you know develop into a point guard. So yeah, I'd be thrilled if this pick happened. That's enough on them, though. I will move on next to number 10. Uh, I had the Toronto Raptors selecting as uh, the team it's held pat at the deadline. So, you know, we're kind of drafting into this murky waters of, okay, we've got Scotty Barnes as our, our f- face of the next era. But we've still got Siakam. We've still got OG. We've still got VanVleet. We've still got like Gary Trent, right? So it's kind of tough to, again, I, I'm trying to go into this with somewhat of a mindset of what are the team constraints not necessarily saying, oh, what's the best fit for our team, but you have to consider that there are constraints, right? If you have Luka Doncic, it would be not very smart to draft a point guard that can't shoot. Say Amin Thompson, right? He's not a good fit beside Luka Doncic. Even if he is even if he is the more talented player, he's more likely to fail in that situation, right? That's that's all I'm trying to do is contextualize. Okay, are you putting someone in a situation where they're more likely to fail or more likely to succeed, irrespective of their talent? The Raptors were just pretty tough for me because, you know, it seems like their, their real weakness right now is half-court offensive creation. Um, just, you know, sort of stagnant shot creation is maybe what I'd call it, creating something from nothing. But at the same time, OG Ananobi is, like, unhappy because he's not getting enough shot attempts, right? Not enough creation reps. Like, they've kind of already got... That Fred Van Vliet and OG and Pascal were all more shot creators than shot finishers. I'd maybe say Van Vliet You know, he's he's more of a shooter, so he's more of a shot finisher. But ideally, you'd want someone more like Bryce Sensabaugh, who's more of a shot finisher. I didn't go with someone like that, though. At least, not by my estimation. Uh, I think you could argue that I did actually, if if you see this player a different way, but. Uh, I chose Jet Howard. Jet Howard out of Michigan, six foot eight shooter, who's I think some people would argue is the best shooter in the class. I'd say he's maybe the best shooter behind like, I think Jordan Hawkins is my number one best shooter. There's no debate there, but uh, he, he's in that class behind him. You know, versatile shooter as well, great movement shooter. Uh, maybe he could even play some good defense someday. Do some rebounding. I mean, you are six foot eight and have some pretty good athletic genes, so maybe he can develop that sort of stuff eventually. Um, I guess my thing with Jed is like he's an awesome shooter. Theoretically be, you know, the perfect like movement shooting off ball guy with like a seventeen percent usage. But I think he's gonna need on ball reps to really be effective. I- I'm just curious. I I think he's going to I don't know if need or want or just take is the right word, but I think if if Jet Howard's playing offense like he's going to take some on-ball reps i am just curious if there's any sort of tension between those older guys if he comes in and is a shot creator but if he's not coming in as a shot creator like is he really just going to be able to get on the floor as a guy who can shoot off the ball and then doesn't defend and doesn't rebound he's gonna have to work on that stuff and it's possible like there's just a light switch that turns on and he's like oh Okay, I'm on the bench now. I guess I'll start rebounding and defending. It's probably possible. It's, it's just like a, an effort thing. But if it's not and he gets put on the bench because he can't do anything other than shoot uh, and they don't want to give him on-ball reps because they're trying to win right now and they've got Siakam and Ananobi and Van Vliet and Scotty Barnes already, I think that's pretty bad for his development. Um, and again, this is where like I think he's probably the best player on my board. I, I would I would personally choose him as the best player on the board. The Thompson twins are still on the board. I think most people would consider them the best. It's not like they're great fits here either, though. I mean, Jesus, that that would be incredible on defense and in transition. But the, I mean, they're certainly not adding to your half court offense. Um, I, I, I just I'm I'm nervous that this fit is not good. Maybe this is a non issue, and Jet and Scotty is just such a great core that the Vets have to either they get traded off, or they just kind of learn, like, to play around them, but I think there's a real situation in which Jet, like, is just not quite good enough to really play with the vets, and the team is, like, good enough that they're not, like, gonna tank, and then he's just, like, not really getting minutes, and then it's, like, three years into his career, and he's, like, playing 15 minutes a game, and, like, you've already drafted guys over him. I'm just a little bit nervous about this fit, personally, but I don't know. Joward's, Joward's, like, a six foot eight and he's a phenomenal shooter and he's got like movement ability i personally think i would rather have jet howard be on a team that could turn him into a star because i think he's got a real chance of being an on-ball star i'm a little more nervous about his ability to be a role player and i think in toronto he's gonna have to be a role player so that's what makes me a little bit nervous about this pick but hey is what it is Um, we'll move on now to number 11 of my 2023 NBA mock draft version 1.0 Portland Trailblazers. I have picking here, Dame Lillard and the lottery again. That's great. I think this is a pretty solid pick for them though. This is one, again, this took about 15 seconds for me to decide Taylor Hendricks. Um, Taylor Hendricks is exactly the type of fit they need. Uh, he's, he's been rising on draft boards this entire year. I don't think he's going to stop anytime soon. His production has certainly not fallen off. If anything, I think he's continued to refine his game throughout the year, which is always something that you look for. I mean, Taylor Hendricks in Portland is a utopian type of fit. Like, he's either going to replace or fit in with Jeremy Grant, depending on whether he leaves in the offseason. He's clearly a great fit for those two-star guards, right? I mean, he fits into that. The, The... long-since-abandoned Moharkless Harkless, roles, he's going to get, like, 10 threes a game with Dame setting him up and Anthony Simon setting him up. I, I just, I think he's going to be a perfect fit as, like, a, a shot finisher on offense that kind of stays out of the way, but makes his shots at a efficient rate. Um, I think he will have, uh, evolve into that, um, and I think our defense is going to be really effective as well. You know, it, I don't know that he's a center, I think his blocking ability is great if he can be the four and can, you know, make some athletic plays to come in and block you at the last second. You know, more more of like a, rather than being the primary help, be like the, the weak side help or the secondary help or something. I just think he's going to be super valuable in Portland. You know, there's, again, there's some talent on the board. The The Thompson twins are on the board. Uh, Anthony Black is on the board. Um... I don't know, maybe Max Lewis you put in that category, but I just think I I just think this is a really good fit for for Taylor Hendricks, and I'm pretty confident that he would be like their fifth or sixth best player halfway through the year. So I just think this kind of I don't feel the need to convince people on this pick very much. I think it kind of speaks for itself. So I'll just go ahead and move to number twelve with the Washington Wizards picking in the teens. That's always exciting, and this is where I finally. Yes, I know, this is ridiculous, I'm stupid, I don't know what I'm talking about, but this is where I have Amin Thompson coming off the board. At number 12 overall to the Washington Wizards. Me having Amin Thompson at 12 is clearly informed by my personal opinion at this point. I mean, it certainly goes against consensus not to have him, I would say. Top 5 seems to be consensus at this point, and I would say his brother Asar is maybe a top 10 consensus, Uh, although I've seen him dip down to the teens as well. I don't know that there's a huge difference between the two Thompson twins' skill set. I, I, I've seen people say that Ammon's much more of a, a like a point guard initiator, which, yeah, I, I could see that more just because he has those reps, not because he has so much better like ball skills. Uh, I think he, maybe he just has more experience and has better vision at this point because of that. I also don't see Asara as like a way better defender or shooter. I don't think either of them can shoot, so that just kind of is what it is. That's kind of why I struggled to find a fit for Amin and his brother is not just the lack of shooting, but like overall offensive fit, reliability, versatility, whatever you want to say. They're just not really scorers, uh, which is... uh, They don't really project as NBA's efficient NBA scorers, which is an issue because they're also not necessarily like hyper-efficient passers or offensive initiators or finishers, like... They don't necessarily have any elite skills on offense. I also don't know that they have the general dribble, pass, shoot skills. I think they've kind of proven not to have the shooting skill specifically. But I will say, if there's any team that Ahmed Thompson might like really succeed on. I think it's the Wizards. The Wizards have a pretty good creator or initiator, I guess if you want to say, in Brad Beal. But like Monty Morris is probably their like main primary initiate. I, I, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I don't think I've watched the Wizards a single time this year. I've been watching more college anyways, but it's not like I'm chomping chomping at the bit to watch the Wizards. Sorry, Jake. But this is, I mean, they've got, you know, Monty Morris is running pick and rolls. Like they are probably the team that would most like to bring in some playmaking, especially an athletic six foot six or six foot seven playmaker like this. I think what you'll see is that Amen will be incredible in transition. I think this is a great place for him to just workshop his skills, he's gonna, you know, having a seven foot three pick and roll partner who can go in and finish, but can also go out and shoot threes. Uh, not to mention, you know, Brad Beal put up 30 points a game, two seasons. Um, Amin's gonna be able to get some assists passing him. And, and Kyle Kuzma as well, who's another one of those shot finishers um, who can hit, finish in a variety of ways. So, Washington is also a team that can afford to give him plenty of time and plenty of patience. As long as he's not stopping them from making the 10 seed, he's going to have time to explore the studio space. I think if he gets in and he can play and he can start building up some stats and then starts getting comfortable, this is actually one of the few places where, it's funny, I know this is going to seem like an insult that I'm taking Amon Thompson at 12 overall, but if the Wizards have the 7th overall pick, let me go back through. If they have 7, I'm taking Amon Thompson as the Wizards over Bryce, I'm probably... Taking Cam and Nick Smith, but I'd take him over Jet Howard and I'd take him over Taylor Hendricks. So, I mean, again, this is a Ammon Thompson and his brother especially are very fit dependent in my minds, um, and I think Washington's a super good fit for. <laughs> you just gotta like throw them some minutes and kind of see what happens and not be that upset about it. But I also think. You can't throw them in like a tanking environment. Like, I think they're gonna, I think they go to Houston, it's gonna be a disaster. This is perfect. This is like a pseudo winning environment where they can get stats and they can learn productive skills and habits, but also don't have the pressure or, or not even the pressure, but like th- they don't have to worry about getting yanked and then having their minutes, their, their minutes limited, you know? They're gonna get the reps they need. So either, um, either Thompson twin I think would be great here. I'm taking them in. So he's considered more the playmaker, but I think either would be a perfect fit with Washington. All right. So move on now to number 13. Uh, I have the Oklahoma city thunder selecting Rayon Rupaire out of the NBL. Fun little trivia fact. This would actually, I, I think maybe there was someone else that they took, but this is at least four players that Oklahoma city has selected out of the NBL. Uh, obviously this would be their third in a row having selected Usman Jang last year, Josh Giddey in 2021. Uh, but they also selected, people might not remember this, but Terrence Ferguson uh, back in 2017, back before the NBL really had hype. You know, this was before uh, the RJ Hampton and Lamelo Ball year, which is, I think, what really cemented the NBL as a place for prospects to grow. But yeah, they've clearly established somewhat of a pipeline, at least in terms of scouting. Um, I believe... Ushman was on the New Zealand Breakers as well, so this would be again two times taken, or two in a row taken from the same team. Uh, I initially had Grady Dick penciled in here, but I just think Oklahoma City's track record has shown that they're a little more willing to take a risk on a guy who's, I think, a superior athlete, has a seven foot four wingspan. Um, I think he's just going to be a better defender. He's clearly got more potential to end up, you know, as even, like, a potential all-defensive team guy. You know, maybe he turns into, like, a great rebounder transition player that Grady Dick doesn't really have that potential. And the downside is that Rayon's offensive game is far less consistent and developed. I will say, though, I think his skill is not necessarily high-level in the NBA at this point. I think his feel is actually pretty high-level. I've been... uh, I've watched a couple of his games. I haven't necessarily... You know, gone to Australia, New Zealand to scout him. I'm not going to act like I'm an expert on his game, but he seems to have a really impressive feel on both ends, uh, which most importantly on offense, I would say, is his ability to, you know, keep his head above water on that end and always be in the right spots. More importantly, not be in anybody's way, right? And his ability to just do that in a high paced NBL league, I find that really impressive. Because the NBL is definitely more high-paced than something like college. NBL is like lots of transition, like lots of drives in half court. It is quite fast-paced. Uh, it seems like a league that is more predicated on athleticism than skill compared to the other non-NBA pro leagues that I've seen so I found it very impressive that you know his skill level held up but also his ability to stay mentally engaged and know where he was supposed to be and what he's supposed to do and kind of have an idea of where his teammates were going to be and what they were doing Um, I found that super impressive I think again OKC like yeah take him get Jake Binglin to work on his jump shot for six months and he'll shoot 40% from three like Josh Gaty like it's it's perfect this this is just this makes too much sense to me uh, great Dick would be great too, though. You know, I wouldn't complain with that. But I think Rayon Repair is just a, would be the ultimate Presty pick, and I think would be a great one. So, I think they go there, and we'll cap it out at number fourteen overall. I have the Golden State Warriors taking Anthony Black at number again at number fourteen overall. Now this this is my favorite fit in the draft. This is this is a little slice of heaven on the court. I, I, Anthony Black is the definition of a Warriors player. The definition of a cerebral, read-and-react type of player, he, he's a hooper, right? He's an instinctual, he's just a guy that you're picking on your team. Maybe he can't shoot super consistently, maybe he can't necessarily, I don't know, make every single read on the court every time, but the times that he does make the reads, they're incredible. In the times that he does make shots, he's unstoppable. I mean, he's 6'7", and we call him a point guard. I think that's fair. I think he's like a legit, at the very least, secondary initiator. I think he can even do a little bit of a Draymond impression on offense. The The constant screening and making plays off the roll and DHOs and trying to get other guys open. I mean, that's what he does, right? Just get him in the weight room, get him to eat a few cheeseburgers and get to set some real powerful screens i just i think he's got a ton of potential in that aspect as well as the perimeter attacking guard aspects you know i made a note on my article like they should just if the if the warriors get anthony black just hire sean livingston to be his full-time coach like just take his game his offensive game and being able to fit around steph and clay and just paste it on Sean Livingston. But then you've also, again, you've got that Draymond bit of the, can you be a screener and facilitator as well? I mean, probably what you say is, in the long term, you want you want him to be able to do that Sean Livingston shot creation stuff on a second unit. Or maybe when it's just him. And then have him be able to fill in, you know, play with Jordan Poole as a screener. Play with whoever the next, you know, if Moses Moody breaks out. Play with those guys as as more of their connector piece but still have his own scoring juice uh, in the background. I, I think I think this would be – this is one of those picks that you look at and you're like, oh, yeah, people are going to hate the Warriors for this. <laughs> they're they're going to be like, oh, wow, the Warriors did it again. This is this is that type of pick in my mind. So, yeah, I, I love that. I think that's a great place to end this podcast too. Uh, made it through the lottery, capping it with a bang with Anthony Black at 14. But – you know, that's a, it's a super strong lottery this year. I think this has got a chance to be the best draft, of, I mean, clearly of this decade. You know, may, maybe you'd take 21 over it, but I think already you're probably going ahead and leaning towards 23. And now we're looking at what, like the 03 draft maybe as, as the next closest comparison. So I, I'm, I'm super excited to see how these guys actually play next year. Super excited to see the lottery order come out. I think we're going to have a ton of fun. Uh, actually mocking guys to specific teams uh, once that lottery is actually set so yeah as always nba draft is a ton of fun appreciate you tuning in let me talk your off for an hour or so but hope you all learned something or at the very least got something out of it message me on twitter or whatever leave a reading rating review yeah cool all right thanks y'all bye